What is crackalacking, Harvard Knox listeners? I am Damp Valley coming at you once more without my co-host, fantabulous co-host, that is, Adam Frommel. Super excited, though, to be joined by Tara Bowen Biggs. She is the co-host of We Have a Take podcast, which is a great podcast, covers the Blazers and the NBA at large. It talks about actual basketball. It also talks about a lot of lighthearted stuff. And they've, of course, tackled some of the tougher issues that have related to the Portland Trail Blazers lately. She's also the co-host of the Step Back Sisterhood podcast. Follow Tara on Twitter at TCBBIGGS. Highly recommended. She is a refreshing as hell follow. And you can follow We Have a Take on Twitter at We Have a Take. And Step Back Sisterhood is at Step Back Sisters, all spelled exactly as it sounds. As you can tell by now, I brought her on to discuss all things Blazers. They have been a non-stop rumor machine the past couple of weeks. We talk about Neil O'Shea leaving. We talk about the impressions of interim GM Joe Cronin. We also get into what direction the roster is headed in. We talk about potential transactions, trade targets, what's going on with Dame's future, which clearly lies in Portland until he says otherwise. Spoiler alert. We talk about lineups, use of Nurkic players. We cover the whole nine yards. Just a note, this was recorded before they played the Timberwolves on Sunday night. So we do discuss the prospect of them shifting up their starting lineup by putting Larry Nance Jr. in for Rocco or Nurkic. They, of course, put Larry Nance Jr. in for Robert Covington. Um, that's still a discussion worth having because we do talk about it in the context of what happens when the Blazers themselves are actually fully healthy and starting uh, their normal lineup when you have um, CG McCollum back from his collapsed lung and Damian Lillard is all the way back from his abdominal injury. A quick reminder before we get started, please, please, pretty please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Hardwood Knox wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us out a ton if you go to iTunes, whether you use it or not, and search Hardwood Knox. Throw us that five-star rating, write a review. That will really nudge us up in the charts. You can also retweet our promo, shout us out on Twitter, tell your friends, family members, acquaintances, random people on social media, the interwebs at large about us, implore them to listen to our pleasantly sub-mediocre, only medium insufferable national NBA podcast. It's a blast. If this is your first time talk, listening to Hardwood Knox because you really want to hear about the Blazers or you're a religious follower of everything that Tara does, consider throwing us that permanent subscription wherever you consume your podcast content. Finally, please remember to follow us across all platforms. We are on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Instagram is at Hardwood underscore Knox. And we can be found on YouTube, youtube.com. Search Hardwood Knox. We will come up, subscribe to our channel there. That's enough out of me. Let's talk everything and anything Portland Trailblazers with Tara Bowen Biggs. Tara, welcome back to the Hardwood Knox podcast. I scared you. Probably because you also expected I wasn't going to be loud or ask you to come back on so soon. It feels like we just recorded the Blazers season preview, and yet here we are, fewer than 25 games into the season, and there's a lot to talk about with the Blazers again, but more importantly, how are you doing? Well, I is first of all, it's great to see you. And uh, there is, you're right, no shortage of content coming out of uh, Blazers headquarters. 
um, I, you and I t spoke, uh, ch chatted earlier about, um, how I had a really low bar. So I'm excited to like talk about all the ways that they're clearing the lowest bar possible. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't actually even remember if we had already talked since the season had started because it, it seems like it was right before the season started, but I was like, wait, have we already talked about what Robert DeCovington has been doing this year? Have we already discussed what Larry Nance has been doing? And I couldn't remember. So I'm glad that you reminded me. We haven't actually talked since basketball started right we the only thing we've dm'd about nasir little and greg brown because that's how that that's how that i works. mean you are like one of my favorite people dan but you're not the only person i've been dming with about <laughs> greg brown and nasir little as much as i love you there's a few other people who also have been getting bombarded with my love of nasir little um I, yeah i mean look your feed is also like a nasir little fan page so i look i respect you. he's having a great year and i'm going to ask about him because one, I respect that you are able to find bright spots amid <laughs> like even the darkest clouds, but he's also been a legitimate bright spot, which is good. We have to start with, I think the, even before you get into the roster, it's just the front office of people, Neil O'Shea gone. Um, very smart of the Blazers to get rid of him before he could go through a coaching. So, oh wait, never mind. Sorry. Um, <laughs> what are your, do you, if you have any lingering thoughts on that, I know you've talked about it extensively on the, we have a take podcast. Please, I would like to for you to share them. I'm just curious more so about what you thought about the, as you called them, vibes under um, interim GM Joe Cronin and, and whether you how you feel about his direction, whether you believe him when he says this isn't a rebuild, this isn't an enhancement. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, the Blazers recent press conversation um, is a really great example of how things have changed um, around Rip City. So um, previous to the uh, firing of uh, President of Basketball Operations, Neil Olshay, it was very uh, infrequent that there was a uh, press conference, much less one like announced to the public in advance. Uh, usually if there's a press conference, it was either media day or the last day of the season or somebody was in trouble as in like, you know, a bunch of rumors had been flying and dad had to come out and yell at all of us. And so there was often a feeling of like, oh God, what's Neil Olshay going to yell at us about this time? Uh, so the fact that like in advance, they were like, hey, join us for a conversation with the new GM and the new president and the new coach. We're going to have a conversation. And that's how they build it was as a press conversation, not a press conference. So then the conversation starts and it was like, um, it was so casual. It was like completely different. Like these guys were all sitting in there, like, you know, um, Haskins had on like a, a coat, but the rest of the guys were very casual. Neil Olshay always showed up like in like full on suit and tie, like never anything less than that behind a press table or whatever. These guys were sitting on stools, holding the microphone. Like, like, um, I went to Sundance one year and like after they would do a premiere, like the director and the producer and the stars would come out and they'd have this casual conversation with the audience. And it kind of had the feel of that about it. So like, in that regard, it was so refreshing that somebody somewhere was allowed to at least attempt to make it look like somebody cared. You know, it was like somebody was like, you know what? Our fan base has gone through a lot and the reporters are really used to getting yelled at a lot. Why don't we make it more of a casual atmosphere where people can just sort of like relax and talk? And so like 
in that way, we were talking about a low bar before. The fact that these guys were sitting on stools instead of on chairs behind a table, that was enough to make me feel like they won the press conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that's a great because like any of the Neil O'Shea press conferences were just unnecessarily combative even when they like there there are always questions about some of the moves that he made but that whole like his that entire vibe of his press conferences and the chauncey billups one was just we talked about it it was an unmitigated catastrophe and so <laughs> to have that be a difference hey it's a change and look the fact that Dwayne haskins was allowed there and like where chris mcgowan was kind of not when he was had basically the same role similar role i don't know if the titles are the same or whatever but um like that has to help too. It, f- it felt like there was more at least synergy within the, or even if that's, it's only front facing, it's one, would you call it a press conversation, not a press conference, a press conversation. That's it. That's progress. I mean, it might be minimal progress, but it is progress. I mean, again, low bar, I felt, it felt like really good that they had at least like clearly talked about in advance. Like, how do we want to come off? Like, we want to come off as a team and they spent a lot of time like acknowledging the fact that the business side and the basketball side had had a rift between them they had not been communicating the way that they thought that the, the you know the current um iteration thinks that they should have been and you know i understand so the way it's set up in portland is that like the basketball operations um is out at the practice facility and the business operations are at the moda center and they're like 15 miles apart and you know one of the things that's been talked about is like how those two offices really felt like they were far apart and weren't working together as much as they wanted to and they made a point at this press conference talking about how they um wanted to you know bring those two signs uh closer together and like i'll say it a million times the last you know nine months of with this organization it's just felt like absolutely nobody cared at all you know nobody cared and the fact that somebody cared enough to think about how they were going to come across and think about what messages that they wanted to get across that would make the fans feel like invited into the conversation and feel like people were actually trying to like listen and respond to you which was exact opposite of the you know the last conversation with Neil Olshay where he just like you know yelled at us about you know wanting to know any how dare we want to know anything about the um investigation that they conducted into Chauncey Billups you know that's proprietary exactly (laughs) Yeah. So there's a, there was an interesting point that a local reporter made that I'm kind of curious if you had any thoughts on it is that um, the, when the Billups investigation, you know, uh, was concluded and we were told that, you know, they decided that um, they wanted to move forward with hiring him and they weren't going to give us any more information. And then one of the local uh, radio stations, I think news stations had to like go investigate, like who actually did the investigation because they wouldn't, the Blazers wouldn't release anything. When the investigation of Neil Olshay started, I think initially it was leaked, but once it was out there, we were kept informed about what was happening. Not like, of course, like exactly, you know, who they were talking to, but they were like, it's expanded to a larger group of people. It's continuing to go on. It's now possibly involving the players in conversations. Like we at least had some little bit of something that we could like glom onto. So it wasn't like they just forgot. And so, um, you know, one of the local reporters reported kind of said that it was like, it's very different the way people reacted to like not hearing anything about like the Chauncey Billups investigation. And then once the Neil Olshay investigation was concluded, we were all like, okay, good. We don't need to know anything else more. It's like, we believe you. We trust you. That's fine. (laughs) 
Well, I think it helps that there was information one, but it also did feel like what, since Neil O'Shea was not the one in charge of that, it was probably easier to get intel. And I also think there had to be a sense because NBA media right now is so tethered to agents and basketball executives. Like they are just at the, the mercy of those people. And I think if you thought O'Shea was going to be in charge of the Blazers long-term, you go a little bit easier on him. Maybe you're not prying. Maybe you're not linking information about the Chauncey Billups hire. It was pretty obvious that Neil O'Shea was going to get fired after all this. And so I don't think there was that, I don't want to call it a loyalty, but there wasn't that sense of, you know, quid pro quo because he's not going to be in a position to do anything. That being said, I say this, and then I still feel like he's been given a forum when you look at some of these reports where, and I'm curious your thoughts on this part of it. It feels like Neil O'Shea's just been dragging not just Damian Lillard specifically, but there's been a forum for him to sort of just like drag the Blazers through the mud and specifically Damian Lillard. And even the way the ESPN report was framed that Damian Lillard wants a contract extension. That's not like news that players. They're going to be extension eligible. That's just a thing. His max salary is his max salary. He's going to want his max salary. And that would have been a decision whether you want to pay him that much money at age 35, 36, whatever it would have been. That isn't a Damian, like, that's not a, that's not just something that popped up. It was a decision you always were going to have to make whether Damian Lillard was happy or not. And so that stuff has just been, I guess the need for content or this time of year to push the Damian Lillard might want out agenda, but I've just been, I don't want to say flabbergasted, but a little bit surprised that it feels like how much benefit of the doubt or cachet that Neil O'Shea still kind of has based on these like media leaks when he's, he's gone. Like he's not, and I would hazard, I'm sure he'll end up in a, basketball organization in some capacity because that's how this league works but i would be pretty surprised if he ends up in a real position of power at least for quite some time yeah i don't um have much to add to what you said it felt like the um the piece that um came out on espn was kind of like had the tone of like how dare he like how dare damian lillard be like trying to like you know think about getting his extension in the future when it's like yeah, that's what that's what you do when you're in that position. You don't go, oh, we're not going to talk about it. I don't really care about it. Like it's 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 not a surprise. And I think people in Portland are just like kind of rolling their eyes about the whole thing because they're so used to having um, the tweets, you know, from Adrian Wojnarowski be extremely in line with things that you know the former GM was saying, and we're we're just all kind of used to that. So nobody was really shocked about that. The one thing I will kind of to wrap up the talk about the uh, press conversation. Um, <laughs> That I will, I'm trying really, really hard to be uh, realistic about tempering my expectations because I don't feel like everything is over. I don't feel like everything has been taken care of just because one person is gone, because there are people above that one person who's gone who allowed him to stay and do the things that he did for a really super long time, both basketball related and also just like, you know, what he was doing um, that ultimately got him fired. Um, and they, you know, conducted an investigation that lasted a whole month. And like, we're all going like, we've all seen it. We all see it. And, you know, for a billionaire, they weren't willing to, you know, pay the 15 million or 20 million payout or whatever that they, that Olshay wanted. So I'm trying to, you know, temper my expectations that these three guys did a good job of acting like they're all going to be friends and, you know, they're going to work together to like take this team to new heights. Um, you know, there's also a small in the back of my mind, and I don't like the fact that it's in the back of my mind, but. I'll admit that it's there. Uh, the, so the Joe Cronin has been working alongside Neil Olshay this entire right. time. And 
awesome. He's like a genius when it comes to salary cap, but he's a genius when it comes to putting all these things together. So I imagine that a lot of times he had to like put stuff together because Neil Olshay said like, make this work. And then he was just like, how am I supposed to do that? And then he came up with some stuff like how they got off of the Alan Crabb um, thing. That was know. all him. You know, like I, the way that move was structured had to be, that was the cap it, guy. Exactly. But he was also in a position where he had to like make it happen in the first place too. If he was involved in the trades as we're, as we're hearing that he is. So like, I'm just, I'm trying to hold back like all of my hopes and dreams um, and just like give it time to play out. I think I, I'm really feeling like the Blazers are at least like, it means so much to me, like I said, that somebody cares <laughs> and is at least trying. Um, but is that going to be enough? And how long is that going to last? I'm just holding a tiny little bit of myself back to not be too disappointed if things change. Yeah. And I do think at least, I think it was Cronin said that the roster has a ceiling on it as currently constructed, which is something that Neil O'Shea just never would have said. And so mm-hmm. that that is probably a good sign. But what I, I think the interesting point you made too is that they had to go through this investigation to get Neil O'Shea out. And he ultimately wasn't fired for, he was fired for things that are much more important than basketball, but it's also a little bit disturbing. It's, it's first and foremost disturbing that this was allowed to happen behind the scenes for so long, but it's also a little bit disturbing that at the end of the day, he still wasn't fired for, you know, basketball decisions that he made. And I, look, I think his tenure, when you look at just on the court, the results, the Blazers have been a postseason mainstay. I think they've made some some good moves. They've had some really good teams. So maybe it's underrated in that aspect. But since like 2016, it's been very touch and go to put it kindly. And so it almost makes me wonder, you know, you mentioned who cares within the organization, you know, do the people at the tippy top, you know, if we're looking at like jo- Jody Allen or like the, the people who were directly reporting to her outside of Joe Cronin, how invested are they in this team? Because ultimately it wasn't the stuff on the court or the moves that he made that Neil O'Shea was fired for. He was fired because he got caught for doing something that I guess the Blazers were turning a blind eye to. That, that's what I mean. I mean about the tippy top. And, you know, when Paul Allen owed, owned the team, flawed as every human is, everybody, you know, he wasn't perfect. But when he died so suddenly, it was like suddenly the heart just went out. Like, he was so into the team. Like, he wanted, like, film from summer league practice sent to him right i don't even want film from summer league (laughs) he was he was so into the team and like neil olshay would say that like when he'd be trying to do the draft he like had a hard time because phil or um not phil um uh Paul was like sending him so many like ideas the whole time. Like Neil Olshay was like, just hold on, you know, it's like, which is a weird way to characterize somebody like that. But anyway, um, ever since Paul has gone, like, I know that we had like with him, we had an owner who cared so, 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 so much to go to somebody who inherited the team and wasn't even sure what they were going to do with the team. And is now like, just kind of holding on to it while it goes through this thing, you know, that's like, you know, going from somebody who cares a lot to somebody who's checked out. And the thing that makes me really sad about the whole thing is that like, you could see that it was time to move on in terms of like general managing. Um, But instead of doing a buyout or whatever, they had to drag people into it 
who like already had apparently not been treated well and went and they had to go back to them and go like, tell us about how that was so that we can fire this guy for it. And that just seems like so unfair to make people who already were mistreated to have to like relive being mistreated uh, so that their billionaire, you know, could save millions of dollars. That just was a bummer to me. No, I totally get that. The we've danced around the Dame stuff and what I just don't find interesting anymore Dame's future in Portland is he's going to stay in Portland unless he says otherwise. I think that's just always been what it is. And I do get, you know, over the summer, he took free agency meetings, basically. Like that Chris Haynes report where he was sitting with LeBron and AD, he had no realistic path to get to the Lakers. I want to make that clear. But he, there did seem a point where he was equivocating on whether he wanted to stay in Portland. That being said, I can't bring myself to even go deeper into the Damian Lillard trade rumors because he's just come out on so many occasions saying, no, I want to be here. No, I want to be here. And the other thing that I struggle with is uh, Joe Cronin still is the interim tag. And so is this going to be the guy that would make the Damian Lillard trade now in the middle of the season when it's harder to make moves of this magnitude? And so what I'm more curious about, um, you can of course add whatever you want on that, that Dame front. Do you think that there's a possibility this team does enter a rebuild, but it tries to actually rebuild around Dame. And I think that people don't talk about that because he's on the wrong side of 30, but knowing how much he means to the organization, I think you could argue that their attendance would probably fall off a cliff if you were trying to rebuild without Dame. Uh, I think they're about league average right now in the percentage at which their arena is filled, but there's just a lot of noise in in this COVID life that we lead right now. Um, But I'm just curious as to whether you think that's a path that you, you think they might explore. I've been thinking about this uh, a lot lately about like, what would I like as a fan? What would I like to see uh, in terms of um, the future of this team? And I absolutely agree with you that Damien is here until he's not. Damien is committed until something happens and he's had enough and he's ready to walk away. And I think that as with any you know, any time in life, you're going to be challenged and you're going to be tried. And I just think that like the first little bit of adversity is not going to drive Damian Lord away. And we talked about this before when I was on how I talked about how Damian Lord is a storyteller and his story in Portland is not done. There are many more chapters, I think, that he's going to write. Someday he may get fed up, but I don't think that it is right now. So that having been said, as a fan, I've been thinking about what I would like to see. And I personally would, and I think there's a good path. I think there is a path forward for this. I would love to see them start building for Damien in like two or three years. And I know that sounds like, maybe that sounds like crazy, but partly for selfish reasons, because I'm looking at all these other teams who have these young, exciting players that were drafted. And like the last couple of draft class have just had some real gems of some players that are going to be around and like make a meaningful difference for a long time. And um, I'm tired of just watching, you know, vets on one-year minimum contract, try to pull the blazers over the top. I will love everybody who wears a blazer jersey except for maybe Raymond Felton but I'm sure even maybe he's a nice guy but I and I like I will embrace Tony Snell you've seen that I have started to really you know love Ben McLemore god bless him but I would love to see the Blazers take a a chance on some young under like undeveloped players draft some young players because you know you look at Chris Paul and he's like quite a bit older than the guys that he's playing with, but he has this younger core who was allowed to grow and, and, and so that, you know, 
what they all became ready they that core became ready at the same time and they had chris paul as a leader and i think a situation like that for damian lillard is like why not let damian lillard you know have some input and influence on growing some exciting new players and why not have them be like six seven six eight six nine and you know come in and ready to learn how to play defense and maybe it could be a couple of rough years but i don't i don't know if that's like totally crazy is that just like nuts to think that it would be a good thing for the team looking towards the future to keep damian lillard grow some younger players around like instead of like getting rid of the star and starting from scratch i know it's hard to do i don't know i just like i just want to watch Nas and ant right now and like <laughs> when like i again i'll love anybody who comes on the team but every year for the last several years the blazers have said that like this minimum player that we're getting for a year they're gonna take you know hassan whiteside is it's going to take us over the top. Mario Hazonia is going to be the man. Uh, you know, Cody Zeller is going to be the difference because he's going to come in and play defense. And, like, God bless all those guys. I am excited. I want to watch some young players um, develop around Damian Lillard and uh, see where that goes. That just seems, like, more fun to me. And I, I think it seems possible. Um, but I don't know. What do you Do you think it's possible? I do. And I think that. it's uniquely, <laughs> I think it's uniquely possible because if any of that contract extension talk was true, when you're signing him to that extension, whether it's the full max or not, I would assume it'd be done with the understanding of this is our three or four year plan since you're under contract for the next four or five years, whatever it would be at that point. And then you would have to get his buy-in, but if he's there and signed, then you don't have the threat of looming free agency or the type of trade request, the non-Ben Simmons trade request, where it's like, oh, he's a year out from free agency or even just two years out. And the other thing is, you know, Dame season so far, notwithstanding, because he has not been Damian Lillard. I don't know how much of that is due to the abdominal injury. But just looking at Steph Curry and his age 33 season, uh, I know Dame probably is just more wear and tear when you look at how important or how many minutes he's played in certain seasons. I don't want to say he was more important to the Blazers than Steph. He, He had less help during certain seasons than Steph yes. did in Golden State. But you just look at their type of games. Steph has aged so well that I think you can believe, okay, if we're – this is his age 31 season. Let's say they begin the rebuild-ish thing now. By his age 33, age 34 season, if you've then hit on people who are closer to their prime or maybe he's maybe he's still your best player, maybe he's a co-best player, but there's not such a clear delineation between Dame, this 50-foot gap, and then your best mm-hmm. player – um, I, I think that that's absolutely fine. I, there's probably an inherent risk there, but there's just as much risk in if you want to go after and win now, you can't trade a first-round pick until 2024. You don't have a blue-chip young player. Nas is intriguing, and intriguing, but he's uh, going to be a restricted free agent this summer, so he's about to get paid. Um, your next move is almost your last move in that regard because what else is there? Because I don't think C.J. McCollum's contract is viewed as a net positive around the league. He's still a very good player, but that's a steep contract for someone who has never been like the second best player on a finals team. Granted, the Blazers did get to the, the conference finals. So your next move, if you go towards the win now, it feels like your last bite at the apple to where if it flops or you're not as good, then there's almost nothing to do but trade Dame if you're talking to him and it's like, okay, you know what? We're going to get rid of Nurkic. We're going to get rid of Covington. We're going to get rid of C.J. McCollum. Um, and we're going to try and rebuild through the draft, take flyers on young players, maybe just get a little bit more youthful, and we'll be back up and ready to go 
at a championship level is the plan in, in two, you know, let's count this season. So by like, you know, 2023 or something like that, maybe that's something he can get on board with, especially if they're going to sign him to an extension. And I, uh, yes. And uh, <laughs> I, I, to talk a little bit more about some of the young players that are coming into the league, the difference between the players who came into the league 10 years ago and the players who are coming into the league now, they, the players who are coming into the league now, it just seems like, and you correct me if I'm wrong, they come in with a different they've been through sort of different programs and they come in with like all these like amazing skill sets where they're, you know, they're six eleven and they're shooting threes already. Like they don't have to wait until their body breaks down and they have to like figure out what am I going to add to my game? You know, they, uh, there's, you know, um, just the players are coming in as hard nosed defenders. And like, that's the thing that they want to make their, um, you know, make their name with. And, I, I don't know. I just, again, selfishly as a fan, I think that's more fun to watch. And if we're worried about people coming to the games and having a high value on the team, I think, you know, having some young players who are fun and exciting to watch and do things differently and are like a big risk, but also could be really high reward would be better for like the health of the team long-term rather than just running back people that are like tried and true. And maybe we can squeeze a little bit more out of them. I mean, that's what Terry Stotts did. Terry Stotts squeezed absolutely the most out of players. I mean, look at what he did with Alvaro Rukamino and Mo Harkless and, you know, a whole bunch of other players. So I think it would be fun to, as a fan, watch some young players that are, like I said, you know, high risk, high rewards, see what they can do, make it interesting and maybe strike on one of them. And like, you can do that with Damian Lillard. Like there's no reason you have to get, you know, ship off Damian Lillard to do that. And plus Damian's going to stay because he wants to stay. I w- and I think that's just the big thing is, is Damian Lillard, will he still want to stay if you're going through that? Because I think that's a, from my 10,000 know, foot view of the situation, if you're going to tell me Dame's going to hover around one of the 10 or 15 best players in the league for the next few years, I'm going to go the all-in route still because it's just so rare that you have those guys. But the scenario of rebuilding around him would be a close second in terms of just a tantalizing possibility. I'm just wondering if he's going to be as open to staying in Portland if that's the direction they want to take. And I would I don't think anyone, aside from him, would have any idea. And I also just don't think that that's – I'm sure internally they've discussed it, but like that's not – this conversation we're having is not something that's really been part of like the mainstream discourse on the Blazers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Which is why it feels even weird to like say it out loud. <laughs> um, so we'll get to more stuff about the the win nows and trades because it, again, Cronin did say that uh, this is an enhancement. I'm just going to keep coming. It was a press conversation about their enhancement. Um, lot, <laughs> lots of synonyms being thrown. I around. think that yeah, I think that he was looking for another word than rebuild and like was just like searching around for something. And so I don't know that enhancement. Maybe it does have a really specific meaning in his mind, but I just took it as like, well, it's not going to be a rebuild, but we really don't know what we can do at this point. <laughs> I need someone, I need an executive to call it a marination. The situation is, is a marination. It's not a rebuild. It's not a win now. It's not an enhancement. We're marinating. We're going to marinate on the situation for a while. We're going to marinate uh, this team. Is the, but looking at the team right now, you have CJ McCollum dealing with the collapsed lung. Hope we haven't even gotten like a timetable or a, a, a prognosis on it. So hopefully he's fine. He's struggled at points this year. Damian Lillard is not, he's had some stretches where he's been fine. Um, he's dealing with the abdominal injury. I think 
we're recording this before they play on Sunday. I think I've seen reports that after his cortisone injection, he plans to play. Is there any reason to have long-term concerns about either of these two with the play that you saw from them on the court? Or is there anything that you saw from them as to why they're struggling? Like CJ is shooting a career low from mid range. Every single spot you break it down in between is just at a career low. He's not even hitting his corner threes this year. He's only taken 37, but he's at sub I think he's at 35%, which is well below the league average there. And then Dame was just going through these uncharacteristic cold streaks to open the year. And so was there anything that you were noticing? Is there any reason for long-term concern aside from the injuries clearly with either of those two? So I don't know how to have this conversation without it sounding like I'm trying to make a bunch of excuses, but I'll go through sort of what I've been thinking in my mind. Um, in Portland, since the beginning of the season, those of us who are really familiar with watching Damian Lillard play, a lot of us have been like, that is just not Damian Lillard. Like something's, something's going on. A lot of us have feared that he's been injured for quite a while and just assumed that that's what was going on. Um, and so I don't, think I myself have never been particularly worried about him in terms of like did he suddenly just like forget how to play basketball no we have 10 years of really good data that Damian Lillard is really good at basketball so it has to be something else and you know it has to be a uh, an injury also new coach new schemes um you know, not new players around him, but being asked to approach the game differently. You know, in the past, it was pretty much give the ball to Damian and let Damian go. Um, and now there's been emphasis on more ball, more ball movement. I don't know if there's been that much more emphasis on player movement, um, but there's just there's just there's definitely been different emphasis that there was before. And I know that they're all professionals and that they will figure it out, but. Sometimes it does take time. So uh, and it, and it, so that's kind of what, what thing. I've never been worried about Damien. With CJ, I feel like he also is struggling with, a new, I don't know, st- with um, perfecting the new system, <laughs> the way that the new coach wants him to. And um, generally, I don't worry about CJ at all. The only caveat I have to that is in that Celtics game, before CJ got injured, I was, I don't even know who that person is out there. He was <laughs> playing so uncharacteristic and people had been saying it because there were some, there were some ugly, ugly, ugly games before these last two games, ugly games. And like all CJ was doing was just like taking the ball and shooting like nothing else. All he was doing is taking the ball and dribbling and shooting. And some people say that's what CJ always does. But I felt like he was doing even more in that game. And I was just like, I don't even know who this is. That's why I was like, did he get injured earlier? Because like, I just, I said to somebody while I was watching the game, I was like, I don't know who that person is out there. He's not playing like the CJ I know. So long answer, short answer. I'm not really worried. Definitely not worried about uh, Damien. Would love for him to have enough rest to get fully healthy. Not too bit worried about CJ, but I do understand he has a lot going on. Um, he also, his wife is about ready to have a baby any day. He's the president of the Players Association. And maybe it takes a little while to get into a new routine where you can have a balance between your job of being a basketball player and then all the other jobs that he's recently taken on. Yeah, I don't think enough attention has been paid to just the newness of the Blazers situation with Chauncey Bill going from Terry Stotts to Chauncey Billups and also this is the first time that you've had McCollum or Lillard undergo such change. Even if you don't think the offenses look drastically different, it's definitely encouraging that their offense is fifth in points per possession, despite 
the absences in general under delivering from Dame and CJ. I'm with you on Damian Lillard. Um, that he'll be fine. The one concern I would have is that he looked off during the Olympics too. And the fact that he said the abdominal injury has been around for like three or four years, that's either encouraging because of how well he's played or discouraging because it's like, well, holy shit. Like maybe you need to sit out the rest of the season and get that fixed rather than get a cortisone injection. I mean, we've, we've known about it in Portland for a while, uh, you know, um, and he, he seems really reluctant to talk about it because he doesn't ever want to sound like he's making excuses. Um, But whenever you see him struggling with shooting, it's kind of like, like if he has an off night, it's like, Ooh, I wonder if his abs are, are hurting him. Yeah. So I would love for him to have enough time to, I mean, what an opportunity for him to do that right now. (laughs) Um, You know, when the rest of the team is, is in turmoil and they're trying to figure out what they're going to be like, just re- like it was shocking shocking to rip city that they were sitting him for 10 days yeah like, that's is it, this is probably like already the most games he's missed in his career over a season no unless i was there a season where he didn't really play that much no he was given an iron man day one <laughs> yeah he's been an iron man so yeah, absolutely i would hazard he would be fine but you you hate to see that like there's been an injury lingering for years i'm more concerned about mccullum because he just looks um, you mentioned the thing about his wife and and they're having a child. I do think people probably underestimate like how much that can take a toll. Bradley Beal has been pretty open about it. Like um, going through a, a pregnancy with your wife and that lack of sleep. And then you mentioned he's the president or vice. Is he president now? The players? He's president. Yeah. He's That's the a president. lot. president. There's a lot going on. And so that plus the change, I still. Think of all the Zoom calls it would involve to be the many. president of the NBA. <sighs> I'm, I have too many Zoom calls, non-podcast related since the pandemic. So I can only imagine what the president of the Basketball player, uh, Players Association would have. But just watching him, I, I have no – it feels like his shot gets blocked more often that he's just not like – something just seems off about his offense that would worry me knowing he's under contract for the next – was he have four years left or is this the first of the four years? Three years left um, at 30-plus million per year. So there's like the level of concern there. And also the other thing – could he have been dealing with bruised ribs all season? And like, that was just something he was trying to play through. And this is an issue that just sort of worsened. Um, and now, now we're here. Uh, who knows at that point, I'm definitely more concerned about him though, moving forward than I would be about Damian Lillard. Yeah. I, I guess like with, with sort of the whole team in general and um, they're like, I know that I'm sure you've heard about their home and their road record where they, they were 10 at one time, they were 10 and one at home and one in 10 on the road. At that point, I was kind of surprised that we hadn't heard anything about the team rallying around something. Like I, I thought that at some point, like we might hear that, you know, they're rallying around their coach. Like they have, they like, let's, let's figure, like, they just, they look like they were playing, like, listlessly. They just look like, like, they hadn't tapped into whatever it was, you know, and it goes to with, you know, the coach calling him out in the, um, in the press conferences. Right. Like, 
on the one hand, like, I don't think that's like the right way to do it. But on the other hand, it's like, he just said what we were all looking at. And <laughs> it was, you know, I just kind of, I kind of expected that uh, at some point they would all have like rallied, like, oh, we were having a lot of injuries. Let's pull together. Oh, our, you know, people are unsure that whether our coach is going to be successful. Let's pull together. Oh, our general manager is under investigation. Let's pull together. But it, it just didn't look like they were pulled together. I will say, though, that the last two games, even though they were losses, uh, they looked like a different team um, in terms of just, like, being more unified than I'd seen them all season, really. Yeah, which is I, – I totally forgot about Phillips calling them out. That was just, like, not – between that and then him criticizing Rocco for, like, not being a better point-of-attack defender when that's never been what Rocco does um, – my next, I guess these are all pessimistic questions so far, would, would be with Nurkic and Rocco. What in the world is up with either of those dudes? Nurkic does look a little bit more in tune with the offense lately, but Rocco, over the past 10 games, is averaging few over his past seven games, excuse me, because he missed three, is averaging fewer points than Ben McLemore. What is, what is going on here with these two guys? Uh, so with Yusuf Nurkic, um, you know how much I like dunks and he is averaging one more dunk per game so far this season than he was last year. So a little ray of sunshine, uh, has that to report. Um, the last two games where I was saying that I really liked what I saw those last two games looked to me like, which one of my favorite things with this team, my favorite things when this team, of course, you know, Dame time is a really awesome time time but i love it when yusuf nurkic decides to put the team on his back and it doesn't happen that often but when he comes out and he's slapping other players on the butts and he is like shoving the ball in rather than like flipping it in that's a sign that you're going to have a really great yusuf nurkic night and um he's been consistently you know putting up numbers and and double doubles but sometimes having 13 points and 12 rebounds is less contributing to winning and some nights it's more contributing to winning. Um, and I think what, one of the big, like one of the big, big changes that happened this year on defense is that Yusuf is supposed to be coming up farther. He is now uh, supposed to be at the, you know, the, at the, at the top of the screen as opposed to hanging back. He now has all the defense happening behind him. Like where he used to be like under the basket or lower, he used to be able to see what was going on. When you're coming up, you can't see everything that's going on. So you have to trust everybody. You have to trust everybody behind you who you can't see is doing what they're doing. And also if you're like Rocco supposed to be doing something, you have to like show that you're trustworthy and being able to do that thing. And it's all so new. I don't, I haven't heard a lot of talk about like this new defensive scheme relies a ton on trusting each other throughout multiple rotations. It used to be like, just go stand in these spots and kind of like be big and like pray. And we know, <laughs> we know that that wasn't great because they were 29th in defense last year. Um, we also know it had as good a chance of working against Orlando as it did against golden state. Um, the new scheme is much more sophisticated. It relies a lot more on trusting and your big guy can't like spends a lot less time seeing what's going on behind him. And you have to, like I said, re, you know, trust your players 
through multiple rotations. So like when they look good, they can cover like the first rotation, maybe the second rotation, and then everything completely falls apart on the third rotation. So doesn't work against Golden State, who will just go and go and go and go until they get their great shot. So I think, I don't think Yusuf Nurkic has fallen off the cliff in terms of defense, even though some of the nights it looks really bad. I think he's getting used to it. And I've seen recent play that shows me he's getting more comfortable with it. And, you know, if they could put it together and, you know, I think it could be a good thing, but I just, I just think it's, again, it sounds like an excuse, but I, I don't think he's suddenly become bad at defense. I think he's playing a different defense and he's figuring it out. Roko, I don't know. I just, I, maybe it's just a bad fit right now. I think, you know, maybe um, the coach is a bad fit for him. Uh, maybe the scheme is a bad fit for him. Um, you know, he's never been like, a, he's never been a volume shooter, obviously. But now it's like, take something. <laughs> At least take a couple. Like, you're not a bad three-point shooter, especially when he takes a little bit of a step back. Like he last season, like he would be right up at the three point line. And like, he was, I think that he was always a better shooter when he took like another step back and shot from a greater distance. But anyway, um, yeah, I just, I just think it's just not a good fit for him right now, whatever it is, the scheme or just the personality with the coach and they haven't figured it out, but I don't think like, I, I actually don't feel hopeless (laughs) about any of this. I, Cause I can see like, Oh, if they could do this, if they got more used to that, then, you know, this would fall into place more. If Yusuf gets used to not being able to see the guys behind them and trusting that they're going to do what they're going to do. If Larry Nance is in there, Larry Nance knows exactly what he's supposed to do. Norman Powell knows what he's supposed to do. Ben McLemore knows what he's supposed to do. Like once he gets used to that, then he can turn his attention on the thing that he's supposed to be doing and then do all the running around that he has to do. Yeah, I guess I would be curious with Nurkic whether he would be built to play on defense the way that Portland wants to play this season. Just because in the positions that he's in, if he's going to contest shots at the rim, which they're still going to need him to do, that compromises him. Uh, I did look. Opponents are shooting above 70% at the rim against Nurkic this season, which is just – it's the worst mark in the league among players who contest as many shots as him. So – that's something to watch. I do think he's coming from the top now. Like he used to be down there. You mentioned, and this is going back and watching. You had mentioned like the rotations that they're making as the season has progressed. It seems like they're forcing possessions to last longer so that they're getting it, but they're still getting burned. Like you said, on those third rotations, or if they have to make these more complicated decisions. And so now all of a sudden you're in this plane of existence where you're working your ass off now, maybe for more later into the shot clock, let's say inside seven seconds, and yet you're still giving up a bucket. And then now you have to go back and play offense at the other end. There's like a, I'm wondering if there's like a, a stamina trade-off there, but I do think, and I don't know how accurate a measure this is, but the fact that they do seem to be forcing possessions to last later in the shot clock might be a sign that they are getting it. I'm just curious as to whether they have the personnel to make this viable and how much of their, I call it defensive improvement, but the defensive improvement, uh, the defensive numbers still aren't good. <laughs> How much of this has to do with the fact that you haven't had Dame for a while or you haven't had CJ now? And those are two guys who are not going to help your defense for the most part. Right. I was going to say that I don't <laughs> I don't think not having Dame and CJ is making the defense worse. Right. <laughs> um, I One of the other things that I do, I love dunks. And I also love it when they force a turnover on the 24 second 
card violation and that does happen um yeah i don't know i can't remember like what was the question <laughs> just if you think that they have the and maybe i'll is whether they had the you thought the personnel to play oh, no, like this i don't the, you know, okay I, I don't think the personnel fits the scheme. And I think that's something that they have said, whether or not they said it directly or they danced all around it. It came, I walked away from the press conversation um, that- About uh, the enhancement. Right. <laughs> that the enhancement involves uh, finding players that are more likely to fit into what the new coach wants to do. Would you consider a, and it, it seems mind blowing to mention this because the starting lineup killed people when they're, when they're healthy, obviously killed people last year after that Norman Powell trade, would you consider any changes within the starting lineup? Once say you have all five of those guys available, CJ and Dame are penciled in there. They're in stone. I get that. I'm probably looking more at the front court. Would you consider mm-hmm. tinkering with that at all? Oh, sure. I mean, I think we're all just kind of waiting for Larry (laughs) to be the starter. Um, Not sure. I mean, I've I've seen moments like at the beginning of the season when Nurkic and uh, Nance were in there together, it didn't look great. Um, But lately in these last few games when they've been so shorthanded and they just had to figure it out, um, I liked some of the stuff that I saw when uh, Larry Nance was playing alongside uh, Yusuf Nurkic, you know, the best use of Nurkic uh, games are the ones where he has a lot of responsibility, i.e. the ball in his hands. Um, the nice thing about Larry is he doesn't need the ball in his hands, but he uh, does have the ability to do some playmaking. And so as long as like Larry doesn't feel like, you know, he's having the opportunity to be a playmaker or taken away from him. He seems like a guy who just like, if there's a chance to make a play, he'll make a play. If there's not a chance to make a play, he'll do something else. What I would hate to see is have Larry just camped in the corner and that's all that he does. And, um, you know, uh, Norman Powell has managed to come out of the corner and have, you know, do a, a more of a verse, you know, a more varied offense and I would just hate to see Larry be like uh, shrunk down to only, you know, standing in the corner to shoot the three. Oh, I'm totally with you there. He's too good of a player to be too versatile, a player to be, to be doing that. Good small ball five. I like it when they go small. Well, that's the, the change that I would make would be removing Rocco or Nurkic immediately for Larry Nance Jr. Once you're healthy, the more nuclear one. And I'm not sure how you feel about this. I would pull both Rocco and Nurkic and put Nas and Larry Nance Jr. in there and say, you know what? We need guys that are going to be more consistently, like just defensively active and engaged. And I don't think engagement is necessarily a Roko problem, but I think with Nurkic, when his offense isn't going, like he can be first team all mopey on certain nights where the scheme maybe doesn't fit him. But even when they've played some more conservative half court sets, like he just hasn't looked the same. I don't know if, you know, you're also kind of taxing your bench then at that point, because removing two of your, let's call them problems from the starting lineup, they still need to play. Like you have to play Nurkic. You're not going to not play Rocco. I'm just curious as to what you would think about. Uh, I guess you're on board with just putting Nance in for either Rocco or Nurk. Would you consider, like, do you think that Phillips has the guts or is that just a bad idea to put both Nas and Nance in the starting lineup and say, you know what, let's just, let's just try this. No, I think there's no situation under the sun that you want to bench Yusuf Nurkic because then you just have no, no then you have nothing. To be clear, I want to bench Yusuf Nurkic. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, I just think that would be such a 
there would be so many other consequences to benching Nurkic. It wouldn't be worth it. Cutting down on his minutes, sure. Or starting Nas instead of Larry and continuing to have Larry like lead the second unit. Uh, but I just, I just uh, like benching Yusuf Nurkic would be as disruptive as like benching CJ. I think. Is that a crazy thing to say? No, and it's the other part here. The the callous business perspective of it that's not doing anything for his trade value if you displace him i know starting starter designations are so ass backwards now because it just matters the most used lineups the most played players and who's in the game in crunch time like that's what actually matters not starting but there's still that cachet assigned to it and if you're demoting demoting i put that in air quotes people can't see us but i put it in air quotes that's not the best look i do have some happy questions for you about the blazers though and okay. I, my favorite, I don't want to, not my favorite Blazers. I love Damian Lillard and I'm a huge Larry Nash Jr. guy. Nas Little has been a joy to watch this season, not the least of which because he's actually been able to play and stay healthy. What makes Nas just so special and so effective for this team? Uh, being one of the few players um, every single night to just be like so excited to be out there. And I think some of it might be because it took him so long to get in a place where he is healthy enough to be there. Like he, uh, it was a difficult path for him to get to, you know, get into the regular rotation. And he, every time he steps up on the court, he just lights up the court with his energy and his enthusiasm and, you know, having a player who will just go for it. Like he had an awesome block the other night. I can't remember who he blocked. Um, I think it was in the golden state state game and you could just see it develop. Like you're like, Oh, this is turning into a block. And he had plenty of room underneath. There was nobody standing in front of him in the basket. So you could just see him planting and rising up. And it was just, he has those impact plays that get everybody excited. He has the dunks that get everybody excited. He's the one who can wake up the rest of the team when they need a little bit of wake up. So that's what I love and appreciate about him is just like when energy seems to be failing or lacking, you just run Nas in and all of a sudden you've got everybody waking up going, oh yeah, this, this is fun. This is fun. And that's why kind of like, I like him off of the bench, which is like not a fair reason to like bench somebody, but you can rely on him bringing energy. He, I think the block was on Juan Toscano Anderson, which the name might detract from the shine of it. But one, if people don't watch him, Juan Toscano Anderson is awesome. And that block he had, like JTA had all the runway in the world. So he right. had this built up head of steam and Nas just sent that thing back and kept it in play, I believe, unless I'm wrong. I might be he's, misremembering. He's getting better at all of those uh, little things that you appreciate about a guy who's going to have a really nice long career in the NBA. His um, rebounding this season has gone to a whole nother level. Um, I don't know if it's going to you know, show in the numbers because I haven't looked. I just know watching games, I'm like – that was a great Nas rebound. He is, he has a way of like what Ed Davis used to do is like get small and just like wiggle his way up. You know how, like, <laughs> have you seen that video of the, um, of the octopus that like leaves the boat through this tiny little slot and you're just like, how's the octopus? And like, he just like makes himself so small and can get up into these tiny little areas and then get big again and like get everybody out of the way. Like Nas can like knife his way in there into these tiny little spaces and grab a, a rebound and, you know, 
rebounds can also create a lot of energy. And I, my new thing is I am lobbying for a rebounding contest in the all-star game. I think they need to <laughs> figure out some way to have a rebounding contest and put Nas Littleman in a whole series of, uh, of Blazers who over the years I've enjoyed watching their rebounds. Um, but yeah, that's another thing. And he can score in multiple ways. Like I didn't know that he could score off a step back. He also is driving. He's getting to the line. He gets to the line. I think 64% on drives this year and he's averaging i think like three drives a game it's not an insubstantial number whatever it it's is like if i'm not watching closely and i see a drive you know first i'll i'll think it was damien and then i'll think it was norman powell but like part of the times it was Nas. i'm like oh he's like he goes into it with so much authority and like at this point there's no you know there's no concern if the ball is in his hands there's no concern um and he can take a couple dribbles and shoot it he can catch and he can shoot it he can put it on the floor and take it to the rack he can do a lot of things and he can know he's getting fouled i mean that's like that's fantastic it's been a hard it's been a long road that we've um been waiting to get you know guards or you know forwards who are not damian lillard to the line i.e cj and in support <laughs> of your support, i love cj but cj does not get to the line <laughs> In support of your rebounding point, he has the third highest defensive rebounding rate among Blazers rotation players. And the first two are obviously their, their bigs in Zeller and Nurkic. But he has a higher defensive rebounding rate than Larry Nance Jr. I think that, that's probably more situational than anything. It's not this huge difference, but that's this is someone I think was not 6'9", 6'8", around there. So it's not this huge guy, but, but you're right on the rebounding front. Is there any other bright spots to sort of glom onto with this team? Is it Anthony Simons, between the leg dunks from Greg Brown. <laughs> like what is what should people be watching about this team and actually be happy about or be looking for as a sign of optimism moving forward? Um one of the things that I um am looking forward to is when we get Greg Brown time because it's a blowout on the Blazers positive side. <laughs> We've seen a lot of Greg Brown where it's like, well, at least we get Greg Brown tonight. <laughs> Instead of like, oh sweet, maybe the Blazers are gonna get such a big lead that we're gonna get Greg Brown. It's more like, well, they threw in the white flag, at least we get Greg Brown. Um <laughs> But Greg Brown is super fun, and he just pulled off that in-game dump. And I noticed that since then, one other player did it as well. I'm not sure who it was. may have been somebody from Detroit. And I was like, no, Greg Brown's is better. (laughs) Uh, But um, so uh, Anthony... I am um, I'm happy that he is having a lot more games where scoring um, is like al- almost automatic. He still has games like every good player does where they, you know, it's just not his night, but most night scoring is automatic. And that's like, you know, super valuable out of necessity. Dennis Smith Jr. has been having to play and he's been fun and it's been nice to like actually have a true backup point guard because for years, the Blazers just, they don't have a backup point guard. CJ is their backup point guard. Anthony is being groomed to be the next backup point guard. They've never, it's been a long time since they had somebody who's actually a point guard playing backup point guard. And, you know, just because Damien has been out, um, Dennis Smith Jr. has done really well and been fun. It's been fun to watch him actually run the floor. And he and Yusuf Nurkic had some nice chemistry. And I think it's possible with the new coach after more people come back and they're more healthy, maybe he'll be more willing to think about like having an actual backup point guard than Stotts ever had. Um, 
but yeah, it's been fun to watch uh, Dennis Smith Jr. That's kind of by necessity, just due to injuries. But I'm hoping that that can be a thing. And uh, you know, I had a lot of high hopes for Tony Snell. He's an odd player. <laughs> He's just really odd. He can play for like a lot of minutes and not have any stats um, whatsoever. Stats. <laughs> and it's like, I thought that was kind of charming at first, but now it's kind of like maybe get a rebound or maybe he's just like helping box people out. So Nas can get the rebounds. I don't know. Um, and you know, I think Ben McLemore has done well considering he's not gotten particularly regular rotations. It's just kind of like, Oh, you're on tonight. Okay. Go in. And you know, he at least knows how to play some defense and, you know, not make things worse, but yeah, Nas is definitely the brightest spot for me. Uh, I no argument for me here. Larry Nance Jr. has also been just really good for him and just rock solid. And look, if people want to question the the merit of what we're talking about, you and I discussed on your former podcast at Blazers Edge a Robert Covington trade that off season. They traded for Robert Covington, and we were at, we had a podcast either end of last season or it was at the beginning of the off season about how they should trade for Larry Nance Jr. What did they do? Well, they you're went, the one who all is seeing. You're the you're the seer in all of these ones. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think Roko Roko was at least both of us. Maybe that was just in the ether for so long. But all, all I'm saying is, when Tara and I talk about it, it clearly gets willed into existence. So who is, are we gonna talk about? Which is why people should pay attention <laughs> to this next question. I asked you, and I did send you a list of players. Um, but what is the even if it's not a specific player, like what is the if there's one archetype one genre of player this team needs to to continue winning now by the way not to hit reset and rebuild around but to 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 enhance the roster to the level that they want to be at what type of player is it so um i have been also trying to come to the i've been coming to the realization that it's super possible that the blazers will not be uh trading cj mccollum that it's just not um gonna be feasible um for what they want and what other teams want and it just might be hard for that so when you are when you asked me that question i didn't go like ben simmons um because that i think that would be really fun to have somebody like ben simmons on the team who's a you know really great defensive he would be, player who can he would, he would be, be great, great. For them. yeah and i will say it again cj would be perfect in philadelphia but i just don't think that's going to happen so kind of to talk go to my point that earlier I would love um, a younger player, maybe, you know, uh, 21, 22, 23, you know, who still is, is still developing and still has uh, things to learn. Um, somebody who is a wing or a four, somebody who's, somebody who's taller than six, six, like <laughs> they need height. They really do. Like the other night I was watching it and um, I was like, Tony Snell did nothing but raise his hand, and it was harder for you know, <laughs> Steph Curry to score. Like, all Tony Snell had to do was put his arm up in the air, and it was, like, 20 times harder <laughs> than, you know, guarding one of their smaller, more diminutive guards. Um, so I was just like, just please. So somebody who's young, somebody who's tall, somebody who can shoot the three and has – they don't have to be fully developed, so, but who has room to grow. The there's a name that springs to mind that I did not give you my list. Now that you described it, I don't think I understood how much you wanted to go the, the more youthful route. And I, I don't know if he fits your height qualification. He might be six, six. Exactly. Let me check this 
really quick, but he's having a good season after being injured for the first two years of his career. Uh, Romeo Langford in Boston. Oh, he is six, four. He's way shorter than I thought he was. So, but he's been defending up if that's any consolation. I just, I'm none of the names I sent you and you, I see in our, our doc that you put their age and heights next to it to fit the bill. I think the youngest name I sent you on there, it looks like they're 20. Frank Nilakina. Oh, there you look. I'm going to suggest Frank Nilakina oh, for everybody. Uh, oh, there's a 22 year old. So I had Lou Dort on there. Were the, of the names that I sent you though, was there anyone that intrigued or that you thought would be a good fit? And by the way, Ben Simmons would be a great fit. I think I've always leaned more towards, I think the Blazers really need to attach stuff to CJ to get him. I've still been curious and I, maybe they wouldn't do it. And I guess Philly doesn't need like a backup five anymore, but if you went, forget CJ, if you went the Norman Powell route and picks and like one of your other players, does that not intrigue Philly? Um, maybe it doesn't because they're apparently looking for a top 25 player, which is just so, so ambiguous and feels so impossible at this stage. But I do agree that Ben Simmons would obviously be a perfect fit for Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, well, as you can see, the one that I highlighted on the list you sent me is Miles Turner. Um, you know, he's 25, so he still has a lot of years to go on. He's, you know, obviously he's a forward center, so he's tall, but he also does shoot the three and he's also ready for something new. And that's kind of the other thing as I'm, I'm looking for somebody who, um, you know, is ready for like, is looking forward to a, a new situation. And it sounds like just, he's he's heard for years that, you know, he and Sabonis don't fit together. So, um, you know, come on, we'll see if you fit over here. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just like him. I don't know if he's a great fit, but, um, uh, he, he, I think he would be, he's, he would be the best fitting big on the roster. I think immediately. Um, I guess I just don't know what you give up to end because the Indy's not going to want Nurkic in that situation. I would imagine, you have to attach a first there. I just don't know what else it, it costs you. Yeah, Blazers basically don't have any. <laughs> I guess if, if Indy still wanted to win, because I still question whether they actually want to blow it up, CG McCollum does make some sense there, especially if Karis LeVert continues down this trajectory of just not being, um, I don't want to say he's not good because I've made him very high in Karis LeVert, but he very much needs the ball in his hands. And I think with CJ, you can at least do other stuff with him. Mm-hmm. The name that stood out to me, and I think it, I've thought CJ McCollum would be very interesting in Boston. And one of the players you just sort of described is Jalen Brown, who I don't think the, the Celtics will trade. And I definitely don't think the Blazers have the ammo to get him unless they're trading Damian Lillard. He's shorter, but he can be like the lifeblood of your defense. Marcus Smart guarding positions one through four. And I'm curious where you land on the idea of, I don't know what the exact structure would be because he makes so much less then CJ and for for the nerds with us, he um, smart can't be traded until January twentieth. But if it's like smart and you know Richardson for CJ McCollum, like are you willing to go that type of a route at this point? Does Norman Powell make CJ at all a little more expendable in that regard, where you can prioritize fit and need over talent? So I love Dame and Norman Powell next to each other. And so if they were, you know, sending out um, CJ, I would be perfectly happy with a uh, Powell and Lillard um, backcourt. And I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't know. I guess um, isn't, I, this sounds really gross to ask, but how tall is Marcus Smart? Six, four. 
<laughs> he's the thing i'll say keep is, his arms up though like if you're if you're six four but you keep your arms up then okay but like i just you know like there's we, the blazers have i mean i texted you when they played their four guard lineup like they've they played a four guard lineup like twice like what are you what are you doing like just give us some more versatility like i just i would i would rather have a non-guard return he's look josh richardson's a little bit bigger but marcus mark six three with a six foot nine wingspan he can defend capably one through four though i i agree with what you're saying but if it was marcus smart i might throw the height thing out of the equation I'm curious what the makeup of that deal would look like because personally, if you told me Marcus Smart was the centerpiece of a CJ McCollum deal, mm-hmm. I, I have no idea if Boston would be interested in that. But just watching their offense this year, I think CJ McCollum healthy, of course, could help them. How do they feel about his contract, yada, yada, yada. If I'm the Blazers, I would do it. I don't know what else needs to be. There needs to be money included. Um, I don't know if it's, is it Josh Richardson and Romeo Langford? Uh, is you could really, it would have to be a complicated deal because of his extension, but the the Celtics don't see as hot, seem as high on Robert Williams III as other people are, just based off Robert Williams III's minutes. And so, like, can he be involved? Would they have interest in, um, you know, Larry Nance Jr. or Rocco or even Yusuf Nurkic, just for sometimes the way they want to play since Al Horford's already there? So many moving machinations there. But if you told me Marcus Smart was the centerpiece of a C.J. McCollum return for Portland, I'm going to tell you right now, I actually wouldn't blink at it. I would do it. I I wouldn't hate it. Especially if he promised to keep his arms up. I want a player who can do two things. I don't care what two things there are, but I want a player like who has two things that he can do. He can, you know, defend and he can dunk. He can shoot from three and he can get a fast break. You know, like I want a multi dimensional player. And so as long as it's somebody who can do a couple of things and isn't just like a one note player. God, I sound like Danny Meringue. He finally sunk in. He finally got through to me about he always he you know he always talks about like you know people who can do more than one thing. But I I like I see it. Like I want somebody who's got two separate two sets of skills. Um, that so if one thing isn't working, they can do the other thing rather than you know just do their one thing and on the night that they won't have it, well, sub in Tony Sell. Would you do? I'm I'm thinking like Miles Turner and Jeremy Lamb get you basically to CJ McCollum's salary. I don't know what else you'd have to include for the Pacers to want to do that. And they're probably going to want at least another. I know that they want to play. Uh, oh my God. Why am I blanking on his name? Isaiah, is it Isaiah Jackson? Is that who they have? Isaiah Todd? Why am I? Isaiah the Jackson. The fact that yeah. you know 450. I, I clearly don't. 500 NBA players. Well, you know, 445 of them. Like, you're so many light years ahead of me. Maybe it's like, a, I wonder if if the Pacers still want to be competitive and not actually rebuild. Would if you, would you, Tara, being in charge of the Blazers, do C.J. McCollum a first? At that point, you're looking at a 2024 first and Cody Zeller for Miles Turner and Jeremy Lamb. I no, I don't. I mean... First of all, I don't know that they even have a first. Twenty twenty four is the first first that they could trade. No, like that goes against me wanting to get younger and build a a younger, you know, build a younger core. Turner is twenty five. I do. I don't know if Indy that is younger, but like to give away like are any chances of you know, any more chances of uh, drafting? Like I just I don't want to give any more picks up. They gave up two picks for Robert Covington. Um, 
they just they don't have very many picks and so i uh, unless they wanted to like do something else entirely and do a second you know uh deal with a team that has a lot of picks like new orleans or okc and pick up some other picks that way i just do not want to get picks unless they've got other ones coming in yeah i mean the other way to go is maybe indy if they if mccollum comes back soon and he's really good I think you can justify flipping Turner and Lamb, who's really dead salary for Indy at this point, for CJ McCollum straight up. You are losing a lot of offense, but I think Turner does more of what you would need. But then you run into the overlap. Nurkic is still there. It's so tough to come up with win-now moves for the Blazers just because they've traded some of their best assets already. And especially, like you said, if you want to keep your picks, it gets really hard to sort of suss out moves. It still revolves really around CJ McCollum unless you – look at maybe moving Larry Nance or, or Norman Powell. The The final question I have jotted down for you, though, is when you look at the, the players that I think are most likely to get traded on this roster, what's, who springs to mind are CJ Nurk, Anthony Simons, but just because he's entering restricted free agency, and then Robert Covington because he's going to be a free agent as well and has not been good. Is there like a – how would you like rank those players in terms of the likelihood that they would be traded this year? Um, I would rank Rocco and Simons as the most likely followed by Nurk and CJ. They, I think they should just trade Nurkic. Like that is something I'd actively do. Even if it's, you're not going to take back net negative value, but I don't know what you're going to end up paying him. If you can just get something for him. And I think it would just be easier to build a more athletic center rotation, having Larry Nance Mm -hmm. Jr. There already. And even Nas just a better fitting one for probably cheaper than he's going to command. And so he's the guy that I look at where I, I don't think I'd be surprised. There's a, again, we're dealing with an interim general manager still. It wouldn't surprise me if the Blazers do nothing to be honest with you, but I think he's the player that if I'm Portland, I don't know what the market for him is like. It's tough to find home for bigs. He is very good offensively though. So he's the player I would be looking to move. I think though, if I'm Portland, let me ask you this, like which player do you think is somebody that another team would really want to have on their team? Wait, would, like that the like, Blazers have? Yeah. Like I think, how many teams need somebody like Yusuf Nurkic? That's the, I think that's the problem you run into is Charlotte needs a big, I don't know if Nurkic is that, well, I, I would say I do know. I don't think he's the big that they need, but because he probably doesn't cost you a ton, is that something they look at? Do they view him as an upgrade over Mason Plumley? I I honestly have no idea. Um, you run out of stuff like just really quickly after that in teams that that need bigs. I guess the the Pacers would need a center in theory if they decide to trade Turner elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I hate the Nurkic Sabonis fit though, and Sabonis should probably be playing center. Uh, I guess I mean the Clippers have Zubac and Harten, Hartenstein. It's it's tough to find teams that need bigs. There, I think there are a bunch that need backup bigs, but you already mentioned that you can't use Yusuf Nurkic as sort of your your second string center. Yeah, and can you imagine being the Trailblazers on the night that Nurkic, who you traded away and got benched, what plat like what he would do to your team <laughs> when he does come off the bench? Somehow he's the first player to score fifty you know, off the bench, and or maybe Jamal Crawford's done that already, but like I could just like. Oh man, <laughs> he might. He's probably most valuable as part of a bigger deal, just as an expiring contract. As terrible as that is to say, because he's better than that type of player. But if the Blazers were looking to, let's just say they wanted to go after a Harrison Barnes and you need to step ladder your way to salary, if you're getting a young player and a pick to Sacramento, 
having an expiring contract like Nurkic, having one like Robert Covington, even um, that's at least an incentive for the offer. But it's it's this weird it's this weird thing where I think he's more valuable to them on the court, but I also just don't think he's going to be more valuable to them moving forward based on how it seems like they want to play on defense. Well, and this is where I think we're all sort of like existing in the Olshay fog of like what he left behind, um, which is why I would love to see like some players come in who we really don't know, but they have a really high ceiling because right now we kind of know exactly who all these folks are. So when you're talking to another team about making a trade, like they may look at them and go, that's not who we need right now because they're, it's really clear who they are. Right. <laughs> so the other team might be like, yeah, I don't, we don't need a player like Nurkic right now. We need, you know, a player like Larry Nance and, you know, we might be like, well, we're not ready to give up Larry Nance. So I just, I feel like, like sort of like, whatever has been left behind by the former GM is going to be really, really, really tough to do something with, which is why I'm like, instead of going for, you know, minimum vets year after year after year, if they could figure out some way where they could at least get some um, young dynamic players in. Oh, darn. New York just scored. Ah, I'm watching the, um, uh, I'm devoting 99 point. 99999% of my attention to you, but the Portland Timbers are playing in the MLS Cup right now. Let me allow you to shift that attention to there by wrapping this up with the question of, is there anything <laughs> that we need to talk about or that you want to talk about that we have not discussed yet? Um, no, I don't think so. You always ask such great questions. I'll just say that I think that, um, you know, I am feeling optimistic based on the fact that we're still early in the season that the players are still figuring out who their new coach is. the new coach is still figuring out who their players are and i feel like even if no moves are made you know right now we may have to wait until february we may have to wait until somebody else comes in i feel like at least the front office is starting to care and that means so much. And I think, you know, it means a lot to fans. And I think it will trickle over to the team as well as they put it together and figure out, you know, who they are. I just, I do feel more hopeful about this team than I did like a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure if I feel more hopeful, but I'm definitely with you that the vibes seem better. And this seems like a more workable dynamic that they that they have tara are you able to tell our listeners where they can find you on social media and hear you talk about hoops absolutely you can find me on twitter at tcbbiggs two b's and two g's um and you can find me my other podcast is we have a take at we have a take and yeah i'm mostly on twitter nobody wants the pictures that i post on instagram <laughs> um yeah but it's so great as always to talk to you dan thank you so much for having me and thank you so much for giving me a bunch of your time as usual. And as you know, by now, there will be a future request coming down the pipeline at some point.